I turn your Bibles this morning, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to pick up where we left off last week about the narrow gate. But I've been doing a series called Choices. Can you say choices? And here's the deal. If you make the right choices in life, guess what? Happiness is going to follow your life. Life is going to be good. The wrong choices, though, guess what it's going to bring? Pain and heartache. And that's true whether you're a Christian, non-Christian, young, old. Choices determine your future. Right choices are getting you closer to God. I want to commend you for coming to church this weekend. Uh, coming to church, reading your Bible, uh, praying, giving, all these things that we do. They are drawing you closer to God. It's making Christ the center of your life. Well, guess what? If you ignore those habits, God gets farther away. It's all about our choices. How many know if you make the right choices, your conscience will be clean? You'll have good memories. But get us what the wrong choices bring. Regrets. Sadness, sorrow. If you make the right choices in life, you're more apt to be successful and have a little money in your pocket. Guess what wrong choices do? Yeah, yeah, you'll have heartache and pain. I mean, if you're lazy, if you don't want to get out of bed, guess what? You're probably not going to have a lot of money in your pocket. So right choices, God blesses. Wrong choices gets us in trouble. And Jesus used this theme when he was talking about the narrow gate and the narrow path, the difficult or the wide way, when it was all about choices. And look at uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. A gate is a metaphor simply for a choice because a gate is not any good unless you go through it. And how many know we're all making choices to go either on the narrow path or the wide path? Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. And notice the contrast. You should go the narrow way, but the gate is wide, and the way is easy or broad that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are how many? Many. Yeah. So lots of folks are going down this wide path that will ultimately bring destruction in their life. But notice he said the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So Jesus is literally saying it's, it's not an easy thing to live this Christian life. It's not an easy thing to stay on the narrow path. But if you do it, I will reward you with life. So that's kind of what we're looking at, these choices. Uh, last week, we looked at this passage, and certainly we talked about Jesus wanting us to choose the narrow pathway. We talked about how to do that. If you were here on Mother's Day, we talked about the place of the Bible in our life as we read and obey the Bible. We talked about the Holy Spirit. As we read and obey the Holy Spirit, He'll lead us to that narrow path. And lastly, our conscience. If we are born again, if we're redeemed, and our, our, our mind has been transformed around the Word of God, you can trust your conscience to help you make right choices in life. But this morning, we're going going to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about your enemy, because you have an enemy that wants to get you off the narrow path. You have an enemy. He's called Satan. He's called the accuser. He's called the tempter. He's called a liar, and his goal is to get you off the narrow path on the wide path to destruction. I don't understand why he wants to do it, but each one of you are kind of in his sights. And I want to talk about temptation this morning. It is something that every one of us deal with every day of our life, the temptation to be pulled from the narrow path to the broad path of destruction. I want to start with a little video. It's from the movie Fireproof, and you'll see this guy is struggling with pornography. It's a problem that statistics tell us 40 to 45% of Christians deal with, and you don't have to be looking for it. It just gets in your face, and if you're not careful, it controls your life. Notice how he dealt with it, how he literally had to remove it from him, and then we'll talk to about Genesis chapter 2 as we talk about the tempter.
Day 23, watch out for parasites. A parasite is anything that latches onto you or your partner and sucks the life out of your marriage. They're usually in the form of addictions like gambling, drugs, or pornography. They promise pleasure, but grow like a disease and consume more and more of your thoughts, time, and money. They steal away your loyalty and heart from those you love. Marriages rarely survive if parasites are present. If you love your wife, you must destroy any addiction that has your heart. If you don't, it will destroy you. say, but that was a $200 computer monitor. I know, but for him it was destroying his life. And it may not have been the monitor, but how many know the monitor was the door? And we want to talk, uh, this morning's message will really help you because every one of us grapple with temptation and I guarantee you, every one of us want to be on the narrow path. Every one of us want to end up in a place of life. We want God's smile on our life, but uh, there's things that are pulling us. So let's look together. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start here back in the book of Beginnings. And I want to first talk about boundaries, because how many know if there's a narrow path and there's one, you're trying to be pulled off of it, how many know there's a boundary there that's supposed to keep you safe? Boundaries, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God placed the man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden. Verse 16, the Lord warned him and said, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except, can you say except? Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. That sounds very simple. You can imagine this lush garden, every kind of tree imaginable. I mean, it was plum trees, and it was pomegranate trees, and it was apples, and it was bananas, and peaches, and nectarines, and plums, and I mean, it was everything. Apricots, uh, cherries, anything that you enjoy and like to eat, it's there. But in the middle of it, there's one thing, and God put a rope around it. God put a fence around it, and he basically said, this is a boundary I don't want you to cross. Now, isn't it interesting, if you look at a restaurant, go to a restaurant and look at the menu, multi-page menu, and the one thing you're not supposed to eat is the thing you want to order. There's just something about life is that we are drawn to that which is forbidden. But here's what I want you to see, is this boundary is a blessing because God's boundaries are there to protect us, not hurt us. If you've ever driven on a mountain road and, and you're going around the edge of this mountain, you think, how did they make this road? And every once in a while you peer off the side and you just realize there's this sheer cliff. But every time you make a curve, there's a guardrail that's there. And that guardrail is not there to crimp your style. That guardrail, just in case you get too close to the edge, is to help protect you. You'll notice I-30 going to Dallas and even going east as well. They've got either barricades built in the center or they've got these wire partitions that are boundaries to keep you from going in the other lane. 
And there is a feeling oftentimes when we look at the Bible is the Bible is God's way to make me have a boring life. The Bible is God's way to take away my fun. I mean, it restricts who I am. It, it, it just makes me less than I want to be. You've got the wrong impression. This is a guardrail. It's to keep you from falling off the edge. It's to keep you in case you start to go to sleep so that you don't go into the oncoming traffic and lose your life. So boundaries are God's blessings in our lives, but God also has given us the ability to choose. Now that's what makes us unique as human beings is we have the ability to choose. We have the ability to make choices, to agree with God's boundary and try to stay on the narrow path or allow ourselves to go beyond the boundary, to transgress through it and get on the wide path. But there are consequences with our choices. And everybody said, See, if you make the right choices, blessing and favor, the wrong choices will cost us. Now, Exodus chapter 20, I want you to think a little bit more about this idea of boundaries because God's bound, these boundaries have consequences. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, the Ten Commandments were boundaries for human behavior. They are arguably the foundation of Western civilization. Clearly, they form the fabric for uh, law in America. Blackstone's commentary of the law from which early day lawyers in America were trained was basically just uh, filled with the Bible. They recognized that the Bible's teachings were the boundaries of which to build our nation, and that's how America became so prosperous. Today, we're unraveling it at the, at the seams. But Exodus 20, verse 13, Thou shalt not... It just sounds kind of bad. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not steal. And let me say that again. The thou shalt nots are there not to give you a boring life and take fun away from you, but they are there to protect you. See, they're there to protect you. If you don't believe that, listen, if you want to violate, for example, if you want to cause pain and problems in your life today, if you're married, have an affair. When, that, when you start in that direction, it seems, you know, like it's going to be enjoyable and fulfilling and fun. And something is pulling you in that direction. But when you end up there, I want to tell you, you destroy your family. Who's going to have the kids? Uh, what church are we going to go to? And then if you complicate it, somebody gets pregnant, you get a sexually transmitted disease, you try to go back home. All these things happen because boundaries are ignored or violated. But we live in a world today that tries to tell us through the media is that basically there are no boundaries in life. You can do whatever you want to as long as it's, as long as it's with a consenting adult and as long as you don't, quote, hurt somebody, you're free to do what you want to. Can I tell you, it's a godless, secular approach. See, the Bible had the thou shalt nots, but what if they were thou shalt not step in front of a moving train? Thou shalt not leap off a tall building because thou art Superman. Um, Thou shalt not play with a loaded gun. Thou shalt not pet a rattlesnake. How many would say that's good advice? And you think, well, come on, preacher, that's just common sense. I mean, that's what you tell your kids. You tell your kids when they're little, thou shalt not go out in the street. Because cars can run over you and kill you. And that little baby is saying, what does kill you mean? Has no idea, but all you know is you're trying to set up a boundary to protect them, not hurt them. And can I tell you, that is the same thing God offers us in the Bible. God doesn't want to hurt our life or take away from our life, but God wants to put boundaries in our life to protect us and keep us on the narrow path. Praise the Lord. So let me illustrate this with a, a, a rat trap this morning. And uh, Jeff is going to help me here. Now, this is a real live rat trap. This is not a, a fake trap. If you put your finger in here, if you don't believe me, it'll get you. Now, come on, Jeff. I don't want to do this. 
Have you ever done this before? No. I mean, I, I practiced. Do you have a, a, have you signed a liability form for the church? <laughs> How many fingers do you have? Five. I mean, ten. <laughs> so you could probably make it with eight or nine, huh? I need somebody else. Who's set one of these? Come up here and help me out here. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a $20 bill here and put in it. How many like this $20 bill? You would. Just a minute. Would you set that for me? And please be careful. Now, I want you to imagine that $20 bill is forbidden. Because it doesn't belong to you, it belongs to somebody else. Let's say you're working somewhere. Be careful now. Don't get you, but especially don't get me. Is it okay? Hang on just a minute. I'm going to walk around with that. I'm going to see who wants this. Right on the back. Huh? That'd be your best bet right there. Okay. Who wants this $20 bill? Oh, you do. Go ahead. Put your nose. Get it with your nose. Can you get it with your nose? I'd like to say get it with your nose. This is how it works. Temptation, it always looks good, it feels good, it sounds good, but the end, it will bite you. Now, we're going to come back to the trap in just a little bit here. I have a volunteer, and, and, and she's going to help me. But hang on just a minute. She is an embezzler. Okay. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, let's talk about the tempter's technique. Now, we're looking at this, and we, we know it's a trap. We know what it can do. We have some sense of awareness about us. But I will suggest to you, when temptation comes in your life, it doesn't come disguised as a rat trap. It comes the same way it came to Eve in the Garden of Eden. And how many know Satan doesn't have new ideas? He just recycles the old ideas. And this is how temptation works. And I'm just going to go briefly through this. Uh, Genesis 3.1, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. One day, he asked the woman. Now, this is just, stop just a second. You got a snake talking to a woman, and she acts like nothing's wrong with it. Now, now let's step back just a second. There was a different relationship between the animals and mankind before the fall and after the fall. Adam named all these animals. I think it's very possible that these animals could converse with Adam. Uh, after Noah's flood, remember, now then they could eat animals. So when you see a wild animal, it's wild, and it's, you know, it, it knows you're an adversary, and it runs away. But these things were pets. One day the Bible says there's going to be a day again when the lion and the lamb will lay down together, and they won't be, you know, they won't be uh, eat, killing each other. So in this particular time, now the Bible will also tell us that when the serpent was cursed, you're going to see that this serpent is somehow used, possessed by, whatever you want to say, by Satan himself. See, the Bible tells us of Satan in Revelations 12, 9, he's called that ancient serpent. He's called the devil, Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. John 8 says the devil is a liar and the father of lies. So the picture of his true nature is hidden to Eve. He's a deceiver, a liar, and the tempter. Now, I don't know how this snake, if the curse put him on his belly... This guy, he probably walked. Now, I don't know if he had snake feet. I don't know if he just kind of wiggled and walked around. But somehow he's talking and walking to Eve. And that's the picture. And I believe that literally happened. But notice what he said. Did God really say? Now, this is where temptation works. Temptation will try to fill your mind with confusion and doubt about what God wants. It, it wants to confuse you between the narrow way and the wide path. 
Did God really say? And here's where it starts all the time. Because what happens, it wants to move you from revelation of the Word, God's clear boundaries, and it wants to get you over in the thinking, feeling, sensual realm, out of the Spirit, into the flesh, so He can reason with you. And she's having dialogue with him. Did God really say, or, or do you think he really meant that? Or is the Bible really true? I mean, after all, it was written by men. And I mean, you know, it's just an archaic book, right? Now, this word can come to you. It can be a thought in your mind. It can come through a friend. It can come through a teacher with a Ph.D. in a college class. But somehow, the voice of the tempter comes to us, makes us doubt. Did God really say you mustn't eat from the fruit of the tree of the garden? Now, verse 2, she clearly knew. Well, of course we may eat the fruit of the trees. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden you're not allowed to eat. Because God said, you must not eat it or touch it. If you do, you will die. So she knew the boundary. It was very clear to her. And Satan started to pull her off first with doubt, and then he called God a liar. Then he said to Eve, you're not going to die. So God is lying to you now. The Bible is not true. The Spirit of God is not true. Uh, God said, you, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. You will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So now what he says is God's holding back something good from you. God doesn't want you to work this marriage out. This one is going to be better. And you're going to be happier if you're over here. See, you're going to be happier if you take that money that doesn't belong to you. You're going to be happier if you cheat on the test. You're going to be happier. Boundaries all the time. And first of all, he makes us doubt the Word of God, doubt what God says. His standards are good. And then he literally calls God a liar, and he calls the nature of God in question. Now, it's almost like if we could put in the Bible, take a big marker and put a huge comma right here. Because if at that point in time, if Eve would have resisted, temptation, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today. So that's what Jesus did in the 40-day temptation. Remember, three times Satan tempted him, came to him, and each time Jesus said what? It is written. It is written. Thou shalt not live by bread alone. It is written. It is written. It is written. And then the devil left him. But she didn't do that. The, 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 the pause turned into verse 6, and the woman was convinced. Now, it's interesting how our ability to choose uh, revelation, reject revelation, and choose reason and sensual experience she saw, notice the eye gate, she saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. Now here's where Satan works. This is why it's so important to guard what you look at. See, if you, listen, if you want to avoid immoral situations, don't take the second look. And let me say this, don't take a long first look. Come on, you're acting too holy this morning. Turn off the TV show. Listen, you know when there's fixing to be a scene on television that you don't need to watch. You know when it's coming. Why is it so hard to find that fast-forward button at that point? It's because something inside of us. God created us with sexual appetite, but he put boundaries around it. And something tells us to ignore the boundary. Well, it's, it's any kind of temptation. It looked good to her. Guard your eye gates. Do you know Job said he made a covenant with his eyes not to look lustfully at a woman? That's a powerful statement. You know where temptation comes to you. And if you can't handle it, get away from it. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took it and ate it, and then she gave it to her husband who was with her. He ate it too. Now, I'm not clear exactly where Adam was in the beginning of this conversation. Now, maybe he was there. It seems to be at first Satan and the woman are having all the dialogue. So it could be if Adam was there, it was all his fault because he didn't cover his wife. 
But it also could be if she had a little alone time with the devil there that she was in trouble because she was alone and uncovered and unprotected. See, that's why it's so important that you are spiritually covered in your life. That's why it's important that children submit to their parents' authority. That's why there's authority in the life of the church. It's for spiritual covering and submission. But she was out there on her own. But the bottom line is she was tempted. Adam said yes, and uh, everything fell apart from that point. She gave it to her husband who was with her. He ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes are open, and they suddenly felt shame because of their nakedness. Can I tell you, that is the way temptation works. You are working somewhere, and uh, let's just say you feel like you're underpaid. Your boss, you see what he or she makes. Let's say they're making $100 an hour. They're getting the bigger part of the sales. You figure you're doing the work, and you're only making $10 an hour, or maybe you're only getting 1%, and your boss is getting 2% for doing nothing. And this little thought just comes to your mind and say, that's yours. <laughs> So you take a little bit. Maybe you've got the petty cash that day, or, or maybe you're managing the website money, and you figure a way just to drop some in your account because there's no check and balance yet in your system. And you just take a little bit, and you take that money, and you go out and you, you, you take your family to the nicest restaurant around. You, actually, you take them to Dallas, and you have a great weekend. You spend the night. You, you go to a ball game. You have some fun. And, it was and then you come back the next week, and your appetite's grown more and more. And what's happening, see, that first week, nothing bad happened. And then you, you even go to church on Sunday morning. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. Look at what, thank you, Jesus. And you go out and you're eating in this fancy restaurant with money that you stole that didn't belong to you, and you're praying, thanking God for it, and you feel like everything's okay. Because we try to compartmentalize our lives. You're looking way too guilty out there. Look at your neighbor. Take your neighbor. Put a smile on your face. It just is looking bad for you today. But then you get out. Have you ever just wondered when you see a, a, a story in the paper about someone that embezzles money from their employer, a bank, uh, a government, a county employee, and they somewhere have got to $50,000, $150,000. Before you know it, what you enjoyed for extras, then you bought a big car with a big payment, and you bought a vacation house, or you got a boat payment, and then you have to have it. And all of a sudden, and then you get used to putting your finger in the cookie jar. Come on, you just go take... And the problem is now you're caught. And that's the way temptation works. It starts by causing you to doubt God's word. Confusion of the boundary. It starts with you feeling like you can erase the boundary or move it. You question the goodness of God. You see what you want. Your soul gets involved. And before you know it, you're convinced and you are in trouble. Tell your neighbor, I'm glad he didn't catch his finger. That could have been bad. <laughs> James chapter 4. Now, let me, I'm going to close with this, and this is worth coming this morning. I want you to write this down. What should she have done when the tempter came? What should you do when temptation is at your door? I want to give you four R's. I'm going to do it real quickly. The first word is recognize. The second is resist. The third is remove. And the fourth is run away. Now, recognize what's going on. Now, remember Eve, she looked at the apple, and when she was looking at the apple, all she did, the Bible says, was she, she, she was in the soulish realm, it looks good to me, and she didn't just pause to recognize what was going on. Now, what I mean by that is when you're in a situation, you need to think, here's what we just almost ignore, all fault, all experience, all reason, we just go headlong into something. 
See, when that first $20 bill appears to you and you want to get it and take it, the first thought that should perhaps come to our mind is, is this mine or is this stealing? Because at that point, your conscience is attuned to it. You know right from wrong. And if we would just kind of stop at that point and let what we know from revelation, from God's Word, guide us, not rationalization. That's the starting point. But the problem is, for most people, it doesn't start there. Most people, we get into it. It's like we want to see how close we can get before it gets us. Now, here's the second word. James 4, verse 7, the word is resist. Submit yourselves to God. Do what? Say it again. Resist the devil and he will do what? He'll flee from you. Now the Message Bible says, yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Now let me say this. This resisting, the, the, the more soulish you are in your Christian life, the harder it is to resist. The more spiritually minded you become, the easier it is to resist. See, this is why it's so important. This is why we keep pushing the Bible, God. We want you to connect with God every day. I just know if you'll take 15, 20, 30 minutes to be with God every day, you're going to be a stronger Christian. If you just come to church once a week or once every once in a while and barely pray over your food, I'm telling you, you're living in the flesh and soulish, and you don't have the power to resist. It's like daily time with God is like spiritual weightlifting, and it will help make you strong so you can resist. You know, uh, if you don't resist, then the next problem, it amplifies itself, and it gets worse because what you have to do at that point is you've got to remove the source of temptation. Now, James chapter 1, they're going to put it on the screen. It tells us to get rid of all the filth. Can you say get rid of? Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word. Now, that's exactly what the guy did on the Fireproof movie. He got rid of it because he couldn't control it. And if you cannot resist something that is a part of your world, you need to remove it or remove yourself from it. I would rather quit my job if it was going to cost my marriage because somebody wouldn't leave me alone. I Listen, I would rather stop something that may not be a bad thing. I, I, listen, I would stop going to the lake if I couldn't keep my eyes off yeah. other guys or you know, yeah. women, ladies, whatever, children. It's all perverse today. He said, but I need a suntan. Cook under the tubes. But somehow you've got to remove. Now, 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 now I want you to think in your life right now. What is in your life that is opening a door to you? What in your life, or who is in your life? There are people that I don't want to be around. There are people in your world that are strategic plants of the evil one. And if you can't resist it, you need to remove them or remove yourself. Because if you don't take the bat and smack that computer screen and you say click here, it will take you to the next step. And it will take you, how many know sin will always take you farther than you want to go? It will always take you farther when you go. So for some of you that are listening today, there's some things you need to remove. Listen to me, young people. There's some music on your iPod that you need to delete. Say, well, I, I like the beat. I like the beat. I, I like to listen to the song about killing cops. I like to listen to the song about killing cops and getting high. It's the beat, Pastor. It is more than the beat. It's the words. And the words get into your spirit. 
There may be some DVDs you need to sling like, 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 like targets, you know, for the shotgun. There's some things you need to get rid of. There may be some channels that you need to get rid of on your satellite program. Don't touch my... Well, I'm just telling you. You can flirt with it if you want to, but the more you flirt, sooner or later you're going to grab it. Sooner or later, you're going to hit the pay-per-view button. If you you got to recognize it. And if you can't get away recognizing it, you got to resist it. And if you don't have the spiritual strength to resist it, you better remove it. And if you can't remove it, you need to run from it. And that's the fourth one. You remember the story, and I'm going to close with this. You remember Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph is this guy that has had incredible problems, incredible destiny, but incredible favor. And he's in this situation. He's by himself with Potiphar's wife. Now, how many know that's a situation you don't need to be in? He should have got out before she propositioned him, but he was in a place he shouldn't have been. But thank God that when she came up to him and hit on him and she grabbed him by the coat, he ran away and left it there because he said, if I don't run away, I'm in big trouble. So can I tell you this, friends? You need to remove it or run away from it, but you've got to get the source of temptation out of your life because it will control you. It will pull you off the narrow path and put you on the wide path of destruction. Let me say this about running. If you can't run away from your problem or your temptation, run to a spiritual person. Run to a spiritually minded man and woman. Run to the altar call and say, will you pray for me? It's a great scripture. It's not on the screen, but Proverbs 28, 13. If we conceal our sin, we will not prosper. But if we confess it and forsake it, you find mercy. Can I tell you, I go to, when I go to pastor's conferences, they have altar calls just like we do in the church. And it is just as hard for me to humble myself and go to someone that I don't know or may know and say, would you pray for me? I'm struggling with something. But every time I do it, my, my ability to say yes gets stronger and my ability to say no gets weaker. It's something about getting temptation out of the dark and into the light. Somehow Satan had an exclusive conversation with Eve. Somehow you got to get light on the situation and darkness will be dealt with. There's something powerful that happens when you bring into your world a trusted person to say, pray for me, I am struggling. And the devil will tell you, what will people think of you? Who cares what people will think of you? I tell you what they think of you. When temptation has put you on the front page of the newspaper, they're going to laugh at you and they're going to go... Isn't it interesting how the devil wants to keep us away from the very thing God wants to liberate us? Now I'm going to close with this. Here's the neat thing in this passage in Genesis. After they got off the narrow path on the wide path, God didn't throw them away. But God made a way to help them get them back together. And can I tell you, if you're here today and maybe you're in the trap, maybe you've fallen away, maybe you're struggling, can I tell you this? Your Heavenly Father loves you. And He does not want to throw you away. When Adam and Eve left that garden, they had fig leaves. Can you imagine getting leaves with no, nothing to sew them together with and trying to cover up your shame? But God said, I got something better. And He found some animal skins that He didn't buy off the rack at the store. Two animals lost their life. It atoned for their sins. But what it showed us is the love of God to cover our mistakes. I mean, it's amazing when I think about the fact, the scripture verse that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, God's love is not conditional my behavior. My behavior may have consequences that I have to pay a price for, but that has nothing to do with the love of God. I have a heavenly Father that wants to help me get off the wide path back onto the narrow path of life.
And I want that to be but what many people do when the tempter's trap has caught them, they stay away from God. They don't read their Bible. They don't come to church. Isn't it amazing how the devil continues to pull you further and further away from the place of life? Well, I want to tell you today, Jesus Christ is alive and he's here today, not only to forgive you, but to help you get back on the right path when you've got off the path. Come on, give the Lord a big hand this morning. The tempter snare. Does every one of us recognize, resist, remove, run away? I'm going to pray for you this morning. And we want to pray for anything today. There's a lot of people that have family members that, that, that are hurting. Mike's here this morning. And Mike's, Mike's the eight-year-old eight little boy. still in Little Rock. He's going to be there for a while. But it's a good report that we got this morning. You know what? Somebody's going to pray for him and strengthen him this morning. He's going to come up here. We're just going to get the oil and believe God for a miracle. You may need a miracle in your life. Somebody will pray for you this morning. See, it may not be you. It may be somebody you love and care about. But God will help you. Prayer is powerful. The most important part of the service, when you make that final connection with God. But maybe you're here today, too, and, and maybe your problem is you've just kind of gotten off track with God. And you need to get back right. When you held that communion earlier, you knew that you're not where you need to be in your relationship with God. For some of us, we've believed before, but we're not following Christ. Today is a day to make a step back to Christ. For others that are here today, you've never yet put your trust in Christ. And today is the first day where you want to make a step to get right with God. And you want our prayers today. I wonder if you're here today and say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I need to get right with God today. I need to get on track with believing and following Christ. I want prayer today. Anyone this morning, lift your hand. We'll pray for you today. Come on, do it quickly. I don't have much time. I'm out of time today. I want to get right with God today. All right, listen, we'll pray for you if you still come. But lastly, this idea of temptation. Maybe you're here today, and maybe you're in the trap. Maybe you're hooked, and you want someone to pray for you to get out. But likely, there's a larger number of us that are here today. The temptation is trying to pull us. We're not yet trapped, but we want to get away from that thing. And the first step can be this morning by letting somebody pray for you. How many people today? Probably half the room today. Come on, let me see your hand this morning. Say, come on, look. I struggle with temptation. Come on, sure, sure. Let me see. If you struggle with it, listen, this is the first start to getting better with it. Absolutely. Maybe the Holy Spirit has put his finger on something today. We'd be honored to pray for you. But whatever you need today, someone would take you by the hand, a spirit-filled man, a spirit-filled woman, to believe God that his hand will be on you for good. Praise the Lord. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to begin to worship. And as we sing this worship song through one time, our prayer team is coming to the altar. And if you want prayer this morning, why don't you come up, let us pray for you. Struggling with temptation, let us pray. Sickness, let us pray. If you need to get right with God, you come and let somebody pray for you. Our prayer team is coming right now. You come, let us stand with you this morning and believe God that God will free you and God will set you free. Come on, let us pray for you this morning. I run to you, fall on my knees, and I worship you.